after pulling out my hair and slowly coming up with a message in Acts 28 for most of the week. Then I wrote a message on some other passage completely unrelated on Friday night. Then I came back to our passage yesterday afternoon, seeing that what I wrote for my other sermon, there were some themes that were connecting to this sermon. And so finally I just, uh, you know, put them together. I guess I was too distracted earlier in the week that we are finishing Acts. And I was too busy trying to connect all the themes and show you how the book ends and and why it ends that I perhaps I never considered that, you know what, God might have something a bit more present and relevant to say that may not be as academic as I was making it out to be. Because consider this, Paul is in Rome, the pagan capital of the world. He's in custody for his beliefs. He is certainly suffering. And he could be oppressed, depressed, and feel suppressed. But that's not how he feels. And here I complain and sulk because everyone celebrates rainbow flags all June. And oh, what a lousy culture I live in. Not to diminish what does bother us in our day and age. But something tells me that tells me that if I die and I was magically transported back to ancient Rome, where Paul is in our passage, I would have died there too. (laughs) I do invite you to stand as we consider Acts 28 this morning, verses 17 through 31, if you're able to stand. We read, And after three days, Paul, in Rome, called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our forefathers, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, after examining me, wanted to release me since I had not committed a capital offense. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. It was not as though I had any accusation against my nation. So for this reason, I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we consider it suitable to hear from what hear you hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we are aware that it is spoken against everywhere. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. He persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your forefathers when he said, Go to this people and say... You will listen and listen, yet never understand. You will look and look, yet never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of thinking, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and be converted, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. After he said these things, the Jews departed while engaging in a prolonged debate among themselves. Then he stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, 
proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you inspired Paul to preach with full boldness and without hindrance. So inspire us today, not with only words, but also with action, to have full boldness and to be without hindrance, being Jesus to people around us, knowing that our suffering and fighting is not in vain, knowing that you are coming to redeem the world, knowing that through Jesus you already have redeemed the world. Holy Spirit, please speak to us today. Open our hearts and minds to hear your voice. Have your way in our hearts and minds. Say what it is that you desire. Help us to respond accordingly and obediently to all that you would lay on us. Father, we love you and we thank you that you loved us first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. That's what Paul did. He proclaimed a kingdom. You and I are not first, foremost, utmost, and totally Americans. We're heavenites. That is our identity. Over our mayors, governors, and presidents is a sovereign. And I don't know about you, but my sovereign and I are on a first-name basis, while all the leaders I just named off, I can't tell you much about them. But I do know the hand who holds the world. We live in a kingdom where justice will prevail, where righteousness will be vindicated, where sinners will either find redemption or destruction, where our suffering will be revealed to really be birth pangs, where our hopes will be realized, a kingdom. Paul proclaimed that kingdom in a pagan, fallen, dark, disturbed kingdom. A kingdom that celebrated, worshipped many gods that was corrupt to its core, that consumed smaller nations for breakfast. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God. And he preached the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. Lord, let it be that I preach King Jesus always with full boldness. King Jesus is sovereign. King Jesus will have his way. King Jesus preaches morality, decency, integrity, righteousness, purity, truth. And he still says it when the culture preaches immorality, indecency, corruption, unrighteousness, impurity, and lies. King Jesus still stands. His message is always relevant. His truths are never out of date. His kingdom is still here. His kingdom remained when Rome was sacked. His kingdom preceded the United States of America. And whether America lives or falls, King Jesus' kingdom will always remain. His kingship will never be contested. He will always be here. He will never be defeated. He has the victory. And he is your king. He is king. He is king, and it's his kingdom without hindrance. No one can contest his authority. No power can usurp his throne. No worldly wisdom 
can rob his validity. No evil or power can thwart his designs and plans. Who he is, what he does, his redemption, his power knows no rivals. He's without hindrance. And the forces of Hades will not overpower King Jesus. The gates of Hades is the word there, and it's a defensive structure. We're the ones advancing. We're on the offense. Paul preaches this. We preach this. We profess this. This is our king and his kingdom. And for Paul in his day, just like our day, it was an unpopular message. For the Jews, ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. It was and is an unpopular message. For Paul, the message is what started his trip to Rome as a prisoner. In verse 17, we read, After three days, after apparently being in Rome, after his long trip, he called together the leaders of the Jews. Now these are unbelieving Jews, not Christians. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people, or the customs of our forefathers. I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So Paul's telling the story. You and I have read it and studied it from Acts 21. He's saying, Jews in Jerusalem had me arrested. They sent me to the Romans. Verse 18, who after examining me wanted to release me since I had not committed a capital offense. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. It was not as though I had any accusation against my nation. In the, the, the city of Rome, there has been a history, especially in the decades leading up to here, which is believed to be about 59, 60 AD, scandals that have brought persecution on the Jews in Rome. People, perhaps one of the, the last biggest ones had been a controversy actually surrounding Christians. Earlier in the book of Acts, we met two exiled Christians from Rome, Priscilla and Aquila. And history suggests that, that skirmishes and uproars over disagreements about Jesus may have caused a Christian expulsion. And what Paul is letting the Roman Jews know now that he's here, arrested for a religious matter, that uh, he, he wasn't trying to be more, bring more scandal for the Jewish community in Rome. Verse 20 so for this reason, I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. He is That's why he's arrested. And in fact, he's likely chained to a Roman guard during this meeting and in the coming months. He says he's arrested for the hope of Israel, which is likely a well-understood term by, the, by his audience, the Messiah. He's arrested for his hope in, his belief in the Messiah and the resurrection and the salvation that he would bring. And we'll unpack this in a minute. Verse 21, and they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. Now this is interesting. The Jews for two years in Jerusalem tried to assassinate Paul twice. First of all, Let's just dwell on that. Do you ever read over Acts and not let these things settle? Paul has had his life in danger. 
assassination attempts were raised to murder him for this truth that he proclaims with full boldness and without hindrance. Paul, you'll be killed. Christ is greater. Paul, aren't you afraid? Christ is greater. You're arrested. They're trying to kill you. You're hated. You're maligned. You're receiving stonings. You've been shipwrecked adrift at sea. You're arrested. You're condemned. It's an unpopular message. Nobody believes it. It can't be true. What is true is that Christ was dead and he rose again. What is true is that when my life is plugged into his life, there is life and life abundantly. And Paul cannot have his volume turned down. He has passion. He cannot be hindered. He brings the message without hindrance. And though the Jews in Jerusalem have tried to assassinate Paul twice and they've bugged the Roman governors there, even so, none of them, not even after Paul appealed to Rome, have even sent a letter to the Roman Jewish community. And once hearing of Paul leaving for Rome, it seemed likely at least a messenger or one person could secure passage on a boat a lot quicker than Paul and his small army of prisoners had. But no one from Judea has come to Rome to tell the Jewish community what has transpired with Paul and what their judgment on him was. Some believe it's because the Jews in Judea realize how weak of a case they have against Paul. And while they can try to swing it with local governors, Paul's coming to Rome with at least two (laughs) non-verdicts by the Roman governors that he's successfully defended himself twice. And so maybe the Jerusalem Jews have no desire to try their shenanigans in front of Caesar himself. Maybe just Paul being gone for now is good enough for them. So as for the Jewish population in Rome, this is all new. The most they probably knew about Paul was that he was a fiery Pharisee in Jerusalem who eventually converted to the sect he was persecuting. It probably intrigued them, to say the least. These Roman Jewish leaders continue, but we consider it suitable to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we are aware that it is spoken against everywhere. You can bookmark this phrase. It's Luke subtly saying, Here we are in Rome at the ends of the earth, and Christ has been proclaimed to the ends of the earth. The last designation on the, the his basically his thesis statement in Acts 1.8, where Christ gave his great commission. But the Jews say that this is spoken against everywhere. Do you ever feel like that today? It's an unpopular message. It still is. If a mentally unstable person comes and shoots up a Christian community, and when the news is on the tip of reporting that it is somehow the Christian community's fault, it's an unpopular message. When Christ speaks truth and common sense, and the world trades sometimes simple, plain, clear, evident, scientific fact for biased, personally self-serving, non-scientific fact, it's an unpopular message. The Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. The Jews ask for, show us what we want. Give us a Messiah that fits our blueprint. Give us a Messiah who throws off the Roman yoke, who who brings in a nationalistic kingdom, who shouts our values and destroys the values of others. The Greeks say, haven't we progressed upon the one God thing? 
Let there be many gods. Respect everyone in their God. Or even if they don't believe in a God, don't inflict your God on us. Don't preach He's the only God, the only way, the only truth. It's an unpopular message. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. The Messiah didn't come to conquer, but to suffer. He didn't come to accuse and condemn our pagan overlords, but to accuse us of our own sins and then to die for them. And die for the sins of our pagan overlords when they repent. He didn't come to build up, protect, and defend our kingdom that we want him to build, but to plant his own kingdom without borders. That's invisible, so we can't even boast. Look at our kingdom. We preach Christ crucified, foolishness to the Gentiles. Really? Your God is one that becomes a pathetic, slaving, servant, humble man who has to die for you? That's your God? That's the God of the universe? And furthermore, you don't celebrate who you are, but your God tells you to deny who you are and follow Him? That weakling, that crucified man? Foolish. It's an unpopular message. And it's led to a long-time spiritual division. It's a message that has been dividing and will divide for a long time. Verse 23 says, And after arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. We looked at that already. He persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. You know what I'm going to say. The Bible is about Jesus. Don't be fooled. Don't be blindsided. Don't be wrong in your approach to the Scriptures. It's ultimately, unapologetically, without failure about King Jesus bringing His kingdom. After Jesus resurrects, He does this with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He does it with His own twelve, actually eleven at that point. Luke is showing here in Acts that the first church Jesus started still continues and it's still the same ministry. It's still the same message. The Holy Spirit is still witnessing to Christ as shown in the Scriptures as proof of His being Messiah and Savior. Jesus is a better Adam who, like Adam, was was tested in the garden concerning not a tree of good and evil that brought death, but Jesus was tested concerning a tree of death that brings life. Just as Adam's disobedience cursed mankind, so Jesus' obedience frees mankind. Jesus is a better Noah who is our ark of salvation and coming to Him saves us from the wrath of God. Jesus is a better Abraham who, like Abraham, left his homeland to build a people of God. Jesus is a better Isaac whom, while Isaac was offered as a sacrifice, only to have a ram to become his substitution, so Jesus becomes our substitution. Jesus is a better Joseph who was rejected by his brothers. And Jesus will be again rejected in our passage. Even so, he becomes ruler and king and saves his ill-deserving brothers. Jesus is the prophet Moses said would come like him after himself. Jesus actually shares the namesake of Joshua who conquers the pagan world and puts his people everywhere. Jesus is a better judge and deliverer who comes and delivers his people from their enemies Jesus is the son of King David, a better King David, who establishes a kingdom that reigns forever. Some are persuaded to follow this king. Others do not believe. As we see here in verse 24, some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave. After Paul made one statement, the Holy Spirit correctly spoke 
through the prophet Isaiah to your forefathers when he said, Go to this people and say, You will listen and listen, yet never understand. You will look and look, yet never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and be converted, and I would heal them. The passage from Isaiah being you being used, it was actually used before by Jesus himself. Luke uh, recorded it a bit more condensed than the other gospel synoptics. That's Matthew and Mark. Nevertheless, in Luke we read, Then his disciples asked him, Jesus, what does this parable mean? So, he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so what many believe is the way that Paul and Jesus understood this judgment from Isaiah is that sometimes the complexities, the uh, mysteries surrounding Christ, his kingdom, his truth is such that they invite the genuine true-hearted in to want to know more, but they repel the arrogant and the God-hating away. And what is telling is what we were told specifically that these Jews left at the pronouncement of this warning from Isaiah. This is this is one of the Jews' own holy prophets from long ago. And Paul is saying, you're in danger. You are the ones that God condemned in Isaiah's time. This is you if you ignore this truth about Christ. But they walk away. Therefore, let it be known to you that this saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And then a, a verse that is in some old manuscripts, but not in others. It might be reflected in your footnote uh, if you don't have a verse 29 in your text. But it says, after he said these things, the Jews departed while engaging in prolonged debate among themselves. Jesus is divisive. He, he, he says, according to Matthew, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it. And anyone losing his life because of me will find it. It's a long-time spiritual division. God divides people. The unrighteous, bickering Israelites and the righteous, obedient ones. The pagan, idolatrous Baal worshippers and then the Yahweh righteous remnant. It seems built into just the sinful fabric of receiving surrounding the gospel. As John the Evangelist writes, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus comes to Nazareth, they reject him. Jesus comes to Jerusalem, they largely reject him. Jesus shows up in the disciples, and his disciples come to Jerusalem, and they reject them. They go to the Gentiles, oh, then he's accepted. Paul comes to the Jews in city after city and he's rejected and rejected, but then by the Gentiles he's received. And so Paul 
Just as he had Jewish opponents in Jerusalem, it's what got him on the trail of having to survive two assassination attempts and a stormy trip to Rome. He makes it to Rome and he finds more Jews. Maybe these ones will listen. No. (laughs) Do you ever think Paul got tired? It's an unpopular message. It divides people. You know, it's almost like an entire world has been infected and affected with some spiritual oppositional force that just wants Christians to believe that they're not welcome. That wants Christians to know, you follow this king, he's the king we rebelled against, and you'll suffer if you follow him. You think Paul was tempted to say, forget this. Why am I taking stonings? Why am I going from trial to trial? Why am I getting into fights with people who disagree with me and end up hating me? If you can't beat them, join them, right? You ever get there? From Jerusalem to Rome, he has, by the Jewish leader's own words, concerning this sect, it is spoken against everywhere. Like, thanks, Jesus. Glad to be on that team. How do you carry on in those moments? How do you pick yourself up and keep on trucking when the entire culture is against you and all the voices say, you're wrong, you are divisive, that's not a nice legacy, you are backwards, you're robbing people of happiness when you repeat these things about Jesus. You know, it happened one time for Jesus and the disciples. Jesus spouted off a winger. It was a good one. He says, To the Jews, in essence, concerning Yahweh, who fed Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness with his bread, my body, that's the true bread from heaven. When Moses and the Israelites, what Moses and the Israelites had, well, that was nothing compared to what I am. I have come from heaven. They ate God's bread and died, but you'll eat me and live forever. And it was unpopular. It was divisive. Jews felt like they were having their traditions disgraced. They felt like Jesus was trying to one-up God or something, which they didn't understand. We do. We give him permission to one-up himself when he wants to. But they saw him as a man and only a man. So we're told in the book of John that many of his disciples heard this and they say, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And then we're told from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Therefore, Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Isn't that scary that he makes that offer? He makes that offer. Christ says, I know this is hard. I know this is unpopular. I know this is divisive. Do you want to go away too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's the thing. If I'm in the middle of an unpopular message and a divisive message and when the world attacks and the sufferings are hard and why did you call me to this? Here's the thing. At the end of the day, you and I know it's true. Where else are we going to go to? It's true, right? It's like the married couple who have a hard day, but in your heart of hearts, you know that your spouse is just meant for you. Your spouse is, well, that's all there is to it. Your spouse. And Jesus is. And Paul, having been attacked in a riot, wrongfully accused, plotted murder against, jerked around before Roman governors who never made decisions, thrown onto a boat, almost drowned at sea, drifted at sea, shipwrecked onto an island, bit by a serpent, thrown into a debate yet again with his own Jewish kindred, awaiting trial before the pagan king of the land. We then read 
Then he stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. You know what this means? What else can Paul do? And I don't mean this in the negative sense, as in he's chosen his side, he's made his commitments, he's locked in, he signed a contract he can't get out of. What else can he do? He'll just stay in Rome and talk about No, rather, what else can he do? He's found hope, life, peace, comfort, redemption, salvation, the hope of the world, the answer for the world, the peace that the world needs, the remedy for the world, the justice for an unjust world, the life for a dying world, all in Christ. There is no other hope that will save. There's no other name under heaven where people will find salvation. There's no other way people will have wholeness or thrive outside of their Creator. There's no other source of light in a dark world than Christ. And Christ is the light of the world. So with full boldness and without hindrance, Paul will proclaim the kingdom of God and will teach the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And with full boldness and without hindrance, you can proclaim the kingdom of God and you can teach the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to the end of Acts and largely we see many themes throughout the book of Acts and one of those themes has been persecution and opposition. It wasn't until you persecuted or the church was persecuted that the church scattered. You've told them to scatter from Jerusalem and they did it after Paul was actually the one persecuting them. And Father, as we come to the end of this book, we still find that Paul is suffering for your sake. And where many can be downcast and want to tap out and say, you win, I'm gone. What else can Paul do? Father, many of us are facing maybe trials. Whether it be sins, doubts, skepticism, trials on the outside, problems in the world, whatever it is. What else can we do? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. Thank you that the kingdom you offer is worth it. Thank you that the salvation offer is worth it. Thank you that you've died so that we might live. And thank you that you live so that we might die to you and love you and love others and serve you and serve others. So help us, Father, to carry on, to carry on with full boldness and without hindrance. Thank you. We ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.